just going to read this one verse. I'm going to give you a chance to turn there. Ephesians chapter 5. I guess I'll start in verse 18 to give you the context a little bit more. But Ephesians chapter 5, we'll start with verse 18. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one underneath the chair you're sitting in or close to you. Ephesians 5, verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Let's pray together again. Almighty God, we thank you for your word. Thank you again that we can meet here this morning to worship together and be reminded of who you are and the great truths of the gospel. Pray now that you would teach us, Lord, about the means of Christian worship and singing that leads us to be stirred to be exhorted so that we might glorify you, walking in love toward one another, walking as light in the world, on mission together, making Christ known. Lord, make us a singing church that glorifies God. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. A singing church that glorifies God. I'll tell you this morning, honestly, I, uh, I felt very frazzled. You ever have those mornings when you feel very frazzled? You've got tons of things on your mind and on your plate, and everything is not flowing like it should, and that's, that's, that's how I felt in my spirit this morning, running around church trying to take care of things, and, and it's kind of just kind of been that kind of weekend. It's been a good weekend, uh, but, but this morning I felt that way, just felt tense and had to just get alone for a while and pray, Lord, settle me down. And I felt that way entering the service. And by the time we got done singing together, this last song, a shout to the Lord and singing about who Jesus is together, um, I've settled down. <laughs> the, the singing of the church settled me down this morning as I mentioned this song this title of the sermon again a singing church that glorifies God I'm reminded it's not always true that a singing church glorifies God you see a church can sing but not glorify God because of how it sings or because of what it sings And we want to endeavor to be a church that glorifies God, even a singing church that glorifies God. Amen? Now, in the passage of Scripture, to help us understand what we see in verse 19, look at verse 18, and you see the Bible says that instead of being drunk with wine, they were to be filled with the Spirit. And so so when someone's drunk with wine, what's the wine doing to them? The alcohol is controlling them. And so in a way, and they're being controlled by something else. They're out of control. And so instead of being like the world, and in this example, like, like alcohol, being out of control, controlled by the world, being controlled by alcohol even, we're to be under the influence and the control of the Holy Spirit. What it really means to be filled with the Spirit is not to seek an experience of the Spirit. 
To be filled with the Spirit is to be walking in step with the Spirit. It's to be keeping in step with the Spirit. It's a way of life. And so when I'm walking in the Spirit and I'm walking in love toward one another and I'm walking as light in the world, I'm seeking to grow in Christ with my brothers and sisters, I'm seeking to engage the lost in the world, then that, that's being filled with the Spirit and the result of that is verse 19. Look at your Bible again in verse 19. What does it say? Being filled with the Spirit, verse 18, verse 19, addressing one another in the psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So the result of being filled with the Spirit is we're addressing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So if we're filled with the Spirit, we've been walking in love toward one another, walking as light in the world, we're filled with the Spirit, leaving as Christ would have us to, keeping in step with the Spirit, the overflow of that, the result of that is when we are with one another, we, our words will be take the form sometimes of songs that build up the church that we'll see in this passage of Scripture this morning. The main point of this message, the main point I believe of this passage of Scripture is this. If indeed we are spirit-filled believers, then this must be true of us. You ready? Here's the main point. We must sing songs to one another and to God. If we are spirit-filled believers, this is not optional. We must sing songs to one another and to God. In fact, instead of putting the word must there, we could say we will sing songs to one another and to God. If we're, if we're filled with the Spirit, we will. It'll, it'll just happen, right? We will. Sometimes we sing songs to one another, not just in the corporate worship service, but I know uh, Jerry Newkirk and I will go to the nursing home tomorrow. We go there the first uh, Monday of each month, and we sing it over here at Oakview. And, and so we sing to, to these believers that are there and the unbelievers as well as they gather in the large room there at Oakview. Sometimes uh, there's been song, there's times, because, you know, I, I like to sing. I'm one of them singing preachers, I guess. But uh, there's been times when I went to the hospital or went and visited someone on hospice, and I've sung to them by their bedside. And I've sang to another believer. Because, you know, it, it, it seems strange if I walked up to uh, Casey over there and I said, Casey, Jesus loves you, Casey. This You should know. If you don't, you know now. Because it seems really strange that I'm singing to you, Casey. So when he's talking about singing songs to one another, that seems kind of strange. But when someone is laying in a hospital bed and they're a believer, and they know they don't have much time to live, sometimes they... Sometimes, you know, the last thing to go is the, the hearing and, and so they know what's going on. Then it's often been a blessing to be part of a get with the family and gather hands together and, and just begin to sing. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. And then the rest of those, those words ring out throughout that hospital or hospice house or nursing home. And it's a testimony to those who like, boy, I wished I had people that would come and visit me and sing with me the gospel. But it's a testimony and encouragement and it's a stirring and it's, it's, a, it's a model of what the scripture says to do here. Sometimes we may sing in a small group or last night at our home, we had a prayer meeting at our home last night that everyone was invited to and for those that came last night, we, we sang in our living room. We sang, in fact, we sang a couple of the songs that we were going to, that we sung this morning to prepare our hearts for worship. So we sung those songs together last night. And certainly there's, when we come in this corporate setting like this, this large place that we call a sanctuary set apart for the worship of God, that's a time for us to sing songs. 
But in doing so, we sing songs to one another. That's one of the reasons I chose to begin the sermon this morning. Brethren, we've met to worship this old hymn that I hope you'll learn. I grew up with it. Because the way that hymn is worded, brethren, we've met to worship, is it's as if you're singing to one another in the song. Brethren, we've met to worship and adore the Lord our God. And that's, that's what we're supposed to be doing when we're singing, whether we're directly addressing one another or directly addressing God. It is a singing to one another. So, when it comes to being a singing church that glorifies God, I want to share with you a couple of things from this verse of Scripture that I hope will propel us to be more intentional when we come together and worship together and sing together for the glory of God. When we gather together as a church and sing, number one, you ready? You... All are the main instrument. I'm not just saying you are the main instrument, but y'all. You all are the main instrument. We have a lot of wonderful people on this platform. We have uh, Marsha's just does a tremendous job playing the piano for us, and Tim and Caitlin and Lauren and Ryan and all you guys up here singing and using your gifts. We are so blessed, aren't we, church? to have those that would lead us. And the, and the scripture even tells us in the Old Testament they had skilled musicians that would lead the people in song. So that's important. You just don't want to have anybody up here, you know, necessarily that can't carry a tune in the bucket leading unless, of course, their heart's right with God. I'd rather have somebody like that that, can carry a, that can't carry a tune in the bucket but whose heart's not in, uh, right with the Lord. I'd rather be in tune with the Lord, right? So it's good to have skilled musicians, but the main instrument is, has nothing to do with anything on this platform. The main instrument in worship is you all. It's all these folks up here and everybody here. That's the main instrument when we come together and sing together. The reason I say that is when you look at your Bible, if you're looking at it, when we're filled with the Spirit, it says in verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melodies. So it's talking about singing. When it says we're addressing one another, that means that there's a one another's going on here. Each member is participating in this. There's an addressing of one another. You are the main instrument. The word that's used there for singing one another, Greek word laleo, means to speak. And so when it says addressing one another, some of your translations may even say speaking to one another. And I think, I think it's interesting to look earlier in Ephesians chapter 4 if you're looking at your Bible and notice where it talks about speaking to one another. For example, if you look in verse 15 of Ephesians chapter 4, if I remember correctly, it says there, rather speaking the truth in love, right? You see that? We're to speak the truth in love. Then, if you look in your Bible in verse 25 of Ephesians chapter 4, it says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So that's telling us positively how we're to speak to one another, right? But then when you look in your Bible in verse 29, sometimes we don't speak to one another the right way. So listen to what verse 29 says. Look at your Bible. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Now, why does Paul say that? Why does God tell us that? Because sometimes corrupting talk comes out of our mouth. So God's having to say, don't let that be happening. Don't speak to another with corrupting talk, gossip and slander and all this kind of stuff. It's wrong. Cease to do it. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as, as is good for what? What's your Bible say? For building up. So when words come about our mouth toward, with one another, toward one another, about one another, it should only be 
for building one another up. It's called edification, to build one another up. Do you see that? As fits the occasion, it may give grace to those who hear. So we're to address one another. It says in Ephesians 5, verse 19, and the way we're to address one another is for building up. So when we sing songs, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing songs and making, singing songs and making music or making melody in your heart to the Lord, those songs that we sing were to sing songs that build one another up. Going back to those verses in Ephesians, not, not words that tear each other down, but songs that build one another up. Now, what kind of songs would that be? Hey, everybody, you're so good. You're so great. You're just great the way you are, and you don't need to change. You're just magnificent. That really is, sounds peppy, and that really makes me feel good, but is that what builds us up? Is that even true? Notice what the Bible says in, song, in, in this verse of Scripture, in verse 19. Do not addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The word psalms, Greek word psalmos, is translated as hymns in, a, in a 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 26. And it says this, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. So everything, whether it's a hymn or whatever it is, is to be, whether it's a psalm or a hymn or whatever it is we do, it's all to be for building up. Context there was about spiritual gifts and how that divided people. So when we sing these psalms or hymns, which means a celebration of God, they're to be for building up. The psalms of the Old Testament, we're getting ready to begin perhaps next Sunday, a series in the Psalms. When we consider the Psalms, don't you love the book of Psalms? The book of Psalms covers the whole range of human emotions that are expressed in the Psalms, but it's all praises to God. The Psalms are praises to God that cover the full range of human emotions. And those are the type of songs that we're to be singing to one another and to God for the purpose of building one another up. So, when we sing, we should keep in mind Colossians chapter 3, verse 16 as well. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. This is Colossians 3, verse 16. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So if the word of Christ is dwelling in us, which is another way I think of saying being filled with the Spirit, the result of that is teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So it seems to me that the songs that we sing should be songs that are teaching, songs that are admonishing, warning one another at times, songs that are for building one another up. So the implications of all this, folks, is when we come together to sing, you're the main instrument. Uh, the songs we sing need to be singable, first of all, and uh, they need to be in a range in which we all can reach, and sometimes, maybe even this morning, maybe you had a hard time reaching some of this, those notes and so forth. This is something when Tim and I meet and choose songs, we try to be conscientious of. We don't want to sing songs that are, sound really good but are so high for the congregation that the congregation can't sing it. And so that's a challenge for us. We want to sing songs that are singable because you're the main instrument. You're to be singing songs to one another. So what's the point if just a few people are singing or can reach those notes? And we need to sing them. Because it says in your Bible, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord of your heart. So if you're filled with the Spirit, you sing. So you're the main instrument in the worship service. 
You need to sing. Singing and making melody to the Lord. You all are the main instrument. Number two, Jesus is the main audience. You are not the main subject. When we come together to worship, you are not the main subject. It's God. Because it says here in the Bible, addressing one another in psalms and hymns, if you look in your Bible, verse 19 again, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. So we're singing to one another, we're addressing one another, but the subject is to the Lord. So we're, we're singing songs about the Lord and even to the Lord, and in doing so, we're also singing to one another. We're encouraging one another the truths of, by which we are singing. So we're not the main subject. God is. So here's what we need to do when we meet. If Jesus is the main audience, and he is, sing with your heart to God by singing the gospel which builds you up. Sing with your heart to God by singing the gospel. Because it's the gospel that builds you up. So we sing the gospel. That may sound strange to you because when you think of what the gospel is, you may think, well, the gospel is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Well, that's where the gospel is found, but actually the, the gospel is found in Genesis all the way to Revelation. So when we say sing the gospel, we're talking about the message of what God has done to redeem us to him. That's the good news. That's the gospel. And we're to sing that. And Christ is the center of that. He, he makes it all possible, right? So this is the gospel. This is what we must sing to build one another up, to teach and admonish one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. This is the gospel that we sing and that we must sing. Notice it says in your Bible to sing psalms and hymns and what else? What's it say right there? Spiritual songs. So I began to look in my study this week, spiritual songs, spiritual songs. What other things are described as spiritual in the Bible? Well, there's spiritual gifts. There's spiritual fruit. There's a spiritual body that 1 Corinthians talks about. There's a spiritual sacrifices that, that were to present to God in light of the gospel. All these spiritual things that are mentioned in the New Testament are, why do we have them? Because of Christ. Because of the gospel. Because of what God has done in Christ. So we are to sing spiritual songs. These spiritual songs are resulting from the gospel. They need to be centered upon the gospel and the good news of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Acts chapter 20 verse 32 says this. Listen carefully to this verse. And now I commend you to God... And to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Listen to it again. It's a verse that some of our kids in Bible drill are memorizing. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to what? Build you up. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. What can build you up? The word of his grace is able to build you up, right? The word of his grace is another way of saying the gospel. The gospel is able to build you up. So when we come together, we must preach the gospel, we must pray the gospel, and certainly we must not depart to do something else. We must sing when we sing. We must sing the gospel too. Sing about Christ and sing about what Christ has done for us. So that means lyrics are critical. It is absolutely essential that the words of the songs are the most important thing. Um, melody and tone and, 
and tempo and all those things, those things are important in worship services, okay? I think you see that in the, in the Old Testament when it talks about some of those type of things. But the words, the, the gospel is found in the words, right? Not in the tone or the beat. Oh, I don't, if I could count the number of times that someone has said that, and this is every church I've been in, about commented on music about, well, they wish it was a little slower, wish it was a little faster, wish it was this, wish it was that, and, and how few times someone has, someone has said something about the words of a song. Now, some people have at times, and that's good whether that's a critique, a negative critique or not. But the words are so, so important, the main thing. So we may be singing. Let's just kind of apply some of this as a church family right now. We may be singing, but we may not be singing with our heart. So when you come this morning and you sing, and you sang some of these songs, you may be singing, but your mind may be somewhere else. And sometimes I'm like that. You may be singing, but you may not be singing with your heart. What's it say right here in the passage of Scripture? Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with what? With your heart. It doesn't say with your beautiful voice. Otherwise, some of you better not be singing. But it says with your heart, right? So, Isaiah chapter 29 verse 13 says, and Ryan voiced in his prayer this morning, these people draw nigh to me with their lips, they draw near to me with their lips, with their singing, but their hearts are far from me. So our hearts to be engaged with what we're singing. You find yourself sometimes, uh, am I the only one, sometimes singing in a worship service, and I'm so familiar with the song, I'm not even paying attention to the words that I'm singing, I just, I just sing it. It's kind of like driving somewhere and you drive somewhere and don't even realize you just drove, you know. It's kind of scary to think about. Um, maybe you don't want to ride with me if that's the case. Sometimes we may be singing but not with our hearts and sometimes we just may not be singing at all. And the scripture says that we should be singing and making melody our hearts addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. What better place to address one another in song than to do that on Sunday morning when we meet together and sing songs about the gospel. So, here's a question for you. Why don't you sing with your heart when we meet as a church? So maybe you sing, but you don't sing with your heart. Or maybe you, you meet and, you, and maybe you just don't sing at all. Maybe you went through this whole service this morning and you never moved your lips one time. You're like, well, I was singing in my heart, but my lips weren't moving. No. That's not Singing means lips moving, words coming out with your heart, not just singing in your heart and lips not moving. So why don't you sing with your heart when we meet at church? Well, I can think of a lot of reasons that people might give and whether they're valid or not you can be the judge I guess but I don't think they are Uh, some will say well I don't feel like singing I just don't feel like it okay the Bible says if you're filled with the spirit then you'll feel like it so so if you don't feel like it it may be that you you just got some really sad news I understand that I've been hit with something right before I've walked into the worship service before that's made me not want to sing at all 
But no matter what I got hit with a worship service right before I walked in here, it does not change the truth of what I'm about to sing, right? The good news of the gospel. So I may have tears coming down my eyes because my heart is breaking. But I can also have tears of joy at the same time because the truth of the gospel is not changed to what I'm singing. So some might say, I don't feel like singing. Some of you are going to say, well, I can't sing. I can't sing, preacher. And some of you will say, I just don't like to sing. And some of you may not say this, but I think it's a factor for a lot of people. Maybe some men, maybe some teenagers at times, some kids. Singing's just not cool. Cool's not even a word anymore. I don't know, hip, or maybe that's not a word either. Rad, how about that? Singing's not, I don't know, is that old too? Help me out here. Singing's not sick. Is that, now I'm getting it. Singing's not sick. Some of you folks say, now you really think I flipped. Singing just seems weak. It seems like something a weak person wouldn't do. So if I, if I start to open my lips here and actually sing this song, my friends are going to see me or, or my kids even might see me or something and you're thinking, I'm just going to seem, it's going to be kind of humbling. Well, I don't know what other things you might say about why it is you don't sing at all or sing at least with your heart. But here's some, here's some things to consider that might help us become more of a singing church that glorifies God. And, and also help you understand why I'm preaching this and why it's a big deal, not just to prepare us for a series of messages on the Psalms, but to do something that Scripture says is important for us to do here in Ephesians. I didn't make it up. I didn't write those words. God says singing to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. So we're supposed to do that. So consider this. Consider what's happening when you choose to sing. Number one, the gospel, this won't be up here on the slides, but the gospel motivates us to sing. The gospel motivates us to sing. So when we're singing the gospel, it's actually motivating us to sing and, and be on mission for Christ as well. Singing in the Bible is usually a joyful response to what the Lord has done. So when I looked up Old Testament references this week to singing and to songs and so forth in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, normally it's always connected to something God has just done. For example, when the Moses and the children of Israel come across the Red Sea and the waters are parted and they go across on dry land and the waters come back over Pharaoh's army, what do they do? Moses begins to sing and Moses' sister Miriam begins to sing in Exodus 15:21 and Miriam sang to them sing to the Lord she says for he has triumphed graciously the horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea an exodus has taken place he's brought us out of captivity or as I was reading in Psalm 27 this morning, and now my head, the psalmist says, I believe it was David in this psalm, and now my head should be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent, that is the place of worship, I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Why is he doing that? Because his head has been lifted up above his enemies. God has given him some type of victory over his enemies. So singing is connected with a victory that the Lord has brought about. And so we see that in David's life there in that psalm. We see it in the Exodus. But for us as the church, a greater Exodus has taken place. We've been delivered from bondage to sin, Satan, and death. Oh, death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? So... 
When we think about the gospel, they were motivated to sing about the waters parting. Miriam was, right? David was motivated because some event took place where his head was lifted up above his enemies and he wasn't threatened anymore, so he started singing. So when we really think about the gospel, it should lead us to sing. It motivates us to sing, to praise God. So Colossians chapter 3, verse 16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching one another and with all wisdom and admonishing one another, singing and making melody in your hearts. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, same type of verse. Let the word of Christ, let the gospel dwell in you richly. So here's something to think about as we think about the gospel motivating us to sing. If the gospel is what motivates us to sing, so if, if Miriam was motivated to sing because she was thinking about beforehand the deliverance that God had done for her, and David the same way, Right? And so therefore they sang. What's that mean we should be doing if we're going to sing when we meet for, with other believers? Beforehand, we should be thinking about the great deliverance that God has done for us. And if you can't think of anything else, maybe you didn't get healed this week. Maybe you didn't get your spouse that you're longing for. Maybe, maybe you didn't get an A plus on your test that you prayed about. But you know what? It's still true that there's no condemnation for you in Christ Jesus, right? That, that, that didn't change during the week. So if you're thinking about that during the week, then we come together, then we're motivated to sing this gospel. So, so, we're, so we prepare our hearts during the week. We're thinking about, that means studying the Bible. That means reading the Bible, right? That means having a personal worship time with the Lord. Singing in worship with your family. For those of you who have children at home or, or even married couples this morning, singing in worship with your family or even singing alone to the Lord can prepare your heart for worship. I would encourage you, I send out each week, if you don't get it, let me know if you have an email or something, I'll get you, get you on board. We send out each week a, a weekly, what we call prepare to worship email. comes out about on Thursday or Friday usually. And it has the songs Sometimes those songs might change between then and Sunday, but usually it's, it's set by then. And so if you click on the link, like one of the songs this morning, The Man of Sorrows, you click on the link and up, up will pop on your phone. If you have one, if you're smart and have a smartphone, I guess you might say, or dumb and have one, I don't know. But up will pop that YouTube video with the lyrics. Usually have the words, and you can just sing. So what we've been doing in my worship time with my family in the mornings is... We spend a little time talking about the word, sometimes about the sermon Daddy's going to preach, and then we'll pull up one or two of those songs and we'll, we'll sing them together. And now I'm not trying to paint a picture that our family worship time is like, what, you know, a Hallmark a card or something like that, you know, a Norman Rockwell painting. It, it's, not a, it's not always a pretty sight. But at the same time, I believe it's beautiful in the sight of God what we're attempting to do. So I just want to encourage you by saying that. Some of you do probably some things a whole lot more effective than, than that in your family worship time, but that is so important to prepare our hearts for worship. If we're going to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, if we're going to sing when we come together, then the gospel motivates us to sing, then it makes sense that the, the word of Christ should be dwelling in us richly, abundantly. We should be wealth with the word when we come with this gospel on our minds that would lead us to sing so we can prepare our hearts by studying the word, by being in the word during the week, by singing even songs of the gospel. Parents or adults, and when you're alone with the Lord, you could take a hymn and just think about what these words mean. So a few times here lately with my family, I've stopped the song in the middle of it 
And I said, all right, let's think about come behold the wondrous mystery. What, what's it talking about here? What does it mean to be reconciled? And we just talk about the words for a moment. Then I hit the pause button again, play button, and we sing the rest of it. So it becomes a teachable time. Because these songs are supposed to be teaching us the gospel, right? Not just singing words that don't mean anything to us. If you, if you listen to K-Love, all right, positive, encouraging K-Love, parents, take time to point out some of the good things that are on K-Love. There are some good songs on K-Love. Sometimes we sing some of those in church. There's some songs on there that are really man-centered and not, not so edifying and not so good. They're, they make you feel good, but they're not really corporate worship songs. But still, they're, they're, they're good songs, but not really for corporate worship. But, but point out good things that, that your kids are listening to, uh, that you can use that for a teachable moment or so forth. So consider what's happening when you choose to sing or not to sing. The gospel motivates us to sing. Secondly, God's people are built up when we sing the gospel. So we've already talked about that, right? Consider if you, if you say, well, I don't want to sing. I don't feel like singing. I, I can't sing. I don't, I, you know, whatever the reason is, think about the fact that when you do sing in the worship service corporately together, you are, we are building one another up. And when you don't sing, you're not building one another up. You're, you're withdrawing from that. The Bible says one, each member is needed in the body. And I think an implication of that is that we should all be singing together. I love to hear the voices. I, I listen sometimes just, just for the voices. And I'm moved by that when we sing together as a church family. So God's people are built up when we sing the gospel. Sometimes we may not sing because we've sinned. In Psalm 51, David said, Lord, forgive me, basically. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. God of my salvation and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. He said, Lord, I can't sing right now because I feel guilty. In Psalm 137, the people of Israel were captive and their captors said to them, Sing us one of those songs now that you used to sing in Jerusalem. Now that you're in captivity because of your sin now, now sing to us. We don't hear you singing now. And the reason they couldn't sing is they didn't feel like it because they didn't feel like it because they had sinned against God and were being judged for it. Now what's that got to do with God's people being built up when we sing the gospel? When we come on Sunday mornings, we've sinned during the week. You may have had a, a really bad Saturday night. And maybe you've asked the Lord to forgive you already, but you're beating yourself up like crazy, and maybe you need to be sometimes. It needs to be sorrow and contrition over sin. But when we come and sing the gospel together, we're building one another up. We're singing this gospel. We're reminding each other that he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We need to be reminded of that. Your brother needs to be reminded of that. So sing so they're reminded of the gospel. They're reminded there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Then lastly, you say, well, I don't feel like singing. Singing's not sick, it's not cool, not hip, whatever word you want to use. I don't feel like singing, I can't sing, I don't like to sing. Singing's not whatever. Be reminded that God is glorified when we sing the gospel. God is glorified when we sing the gospel. When you don't sing, he's not being glorified like he could be. He's still glorious, but he's not being glorified as he could be. The reason I say that is if you look in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6, when it talks about the plan of the gospel, 
In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6, it says this, It's to the praise of his glorious grace, which he's blessed us in the beloved. In verse 12, it says this, So that we who are the first to hope in him in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Right? He's called us, he's saved us, he's given us this inheritance. It's to the praise of his glory. Verse 14 says about the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. To the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glorious grace, to the praise of his glory. When we sing about this gospel that brings him glory, he's glorified. And when we don't sing it, he's not being glorified in our midst as he could be. So if you have these reasons, these objections, these things that come to mind when you don't sing, remember, the gospel motivates us to sing. God's people are built up when we sing the gospel. They need it, and you need it. And God is glorified. He is glorified when we sing the gospel. As we sung this, as we sang this morning, folks, the very first song, Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. This is all my hope and peace. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This, we sing at the nursing home. Jerry, Jerry knows uh, I always sing nothing but the blood of Jesus with the folks there, and it's one of the last ones I sing. And when we get to this part, I sing it really loud because I want to make sure everybody at the nurse's station right there can hear me anyway, but all down the hallway, they can hear, this is all my hope and peace, nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Sometimes I'll stop and get to preaching now. You may thought you baptism, even though you ought to be baptized, it's not good works. It's, oh, even though you ought to do good things, it's not being a church member, even though you ought to be a church member. It's nothing but the blood of Jesus. He's all my righteousness. All my other things I do without Christ is like filthy rags. And so we sing because it's the gospel. It glorifies God. We can't make ourselves right with him. So, Start singing when you come to church if you ain't singing. Does that summarize that pretty good? And if your heart, you say my heart's not in it, remind yourself of what the gospel has done and sing anyway. Open your mouth and sing the gospel. Bow your heads with me this morning. It may be as your head is bowed and your eyes are closed and that Maybe these things that I speak about seem very foreign to you or unnecessary. It could be that, that you're not a born-again Christian, that you're not a true believer. It could be that you're just a very immature believer, or there could be a host of reasons, I suppose. But if you're here this morning and you're, you don't know where you stand with the Lord, you're not sure if you're a Christian, the Bible says to repent of your sins and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. I just want to ask you, have you done that? Have you, have you been saved? Are you sure if you died you'd go to heaven? We would love to talk with you about how God might be working in your heart about the answer to that question. We'd encourage you to let us talk with you this morning even. Father, we come right now and we thank you, Lord, that you've put more joy in our hearts than when the world's goods and pleasures abound when the world just seems like everything's just going great for it Lord you've put more joy in our hearts always we've got a treasure that satisfies in Christ 
Oh God, let us be a singing church that glorifies God because we're growing in Christ in such a way that we understand the dimensions of the love of Christ. And it fills us with joy. And it results in singing to one another, stirring one another, encouraging one another. And even as we leave this place, this joy that that has overflowed in singing, as we leave this place results in our engaging the lost. It results in our going and telling people about what Christ has done for us and how they can be satisfied to taste and see that the Lord is good. Work that way amongst us. Thank you for Jesus. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing. And if you'd like to come right now and pray about anything at all, I'll be standing at the front and be here to pray with you. Let's sing together. church let's leave this week and seek to nurture our hearts in such a way that we overflow by engaging the lost with the gospel this week and we come back ready to 
praise the Lord together and encourage one another and stir one another. I'm going to ask Ryan Horrell. He's going to come and close us in prayer this morning. And as he comes, uh, remind you that next Sunday morning, not only we'll be eating after the church, the meal, uh, or after eating after the, the sermon next Sunday morning, uh, but we're going to be ordaining Ryan into, as a deacon here in our church. And the, the church has voted to do that, and we'll make that uh, official next Sunday. We're looking forward to that, Ryan. So you be, be sure and be here with us next week to celebrate that and have a good time with us in that. Uh, we'll be meeting back tonight for worship at uh, 6.30. We hope you'll come back and worship with us. We'll have a super time tonight, I can guarantee you that. And uh, back at the Welcome Center, you can sign up to be part of that dinner for six and some of the other opportunities we've mentioned. You be sure and do that. Ryan, would you close in prayer? Let's bow our heads. Dear Lord, thank you so much for inviting us into your home, that we can fill this place with your praises. We can encourage one another and be lifted up. What a precious place. What a sweet reminder of your gospel, that we can encourage one another, that we can glorify you. Thank you for this, Lord. Lord, be with us this week. May our homes be filled with your praises. May our vehicles as we go to and fro be filled with your praises, Lord. For your glory we pray. Amen. What is the gospel? It all begins with God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created the first man, Adam, and the first woman, Eve, to rule over the garden. God told them they could eat from any tree that they wanted to in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Everything was perfect in the garden. They had a perfect relationship with the land, a perfect relationship with each other, a perfect relationship with God until they chose to rebel against God and eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it brought about separation between them and God. Man has always tried to bridge the separation on his own terms and in his own strength. Whether it's building a ladder of morality and trying to be good enough for God, or even in the Old Testament example, when men built a tower into the heavens trying to reach God on their own. A more contemporary example comes from 1961, when the Russians were first successful in sending a man into outer space. Upon returning, the Russian cosmonaut remarked, We have been to space, and we didn't find God or heaven there. A popular professor and author, C.S. Lewis, responded to the Russian cosmonaut. He said that looking for God in outer space is kind of like Hamlet, one of the characters in Shakespeare's plays, looking for Shakespeare in the attic of his home. Lewis said that for Hamlet to have a relationship with Shakespeare, Shakespeare would literally have to write himself into the story. That is the gospel. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The gospel is the account of God writing himself into human history. Almost 2,000 years ago, the Bible says that Jesus, in fulfillment to Old Testament prophecies, was born of a virgin. Even as a child, he lived a perfect life. At the age of 30, he began his public ministry. He attracted followers. For three years, he taught, he healed, and he made bold claims, such as saying that he alone was the only way to God. The religious and political leaders did not like these teachings. They invoked a riot against Jesus. They brought about false accusations leading to a trial and to a sentencing of death by public crucifixion. The Bible says that while Jesus hung on the cross, that God placed all of the sin of all of mankind on Jesus. Jesus hung on the cross as our substitute. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 
They took Jesus down from the cross and they put him in a tomb. They rolled a large stone at the entrance of the tomb so no one could get in or out. There were Roman soldiers who were posted on guard to keep people from coming to take Jesus' body. But on the third day, according to scripture, he rose again. After being seen by many eyewitnesses and giving instruction to his followers, he ascended back into the heaven, where he now sits at the right hand of God and serves as our advocate before the Father. So what does this have to do with you? The Bible says that we have all sinned and that we all fall short of God's standard of holiness. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is no way to get rid of the burden of sin on our own. God calls all men everywhere to believe in Christ, repent of sins, and trust Christ to live a new life. As we look back and believe in what God has done through the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection, as we repent and turn from our sins, as we trust Jesus as our Savior and Lord, we have peace with God and the forgiveness of sins. So let's review. It all begins with God. Because of our sin, we are separated from God. The gospel is the account of God writing himself into human history. Jesus died in our place for our sins and rose again on the third day. As we believe in Christ, repent from our sins, and trust Jesus for new life, we have peace with God and forgiveness of sins. That is the gospel.